Hey guys, it's Elphick here, Making Sound Engineer. As you might be aware, I took a trip to China in December 2017 with one of our good friends and photographers, Yin. We wanted to explore and understand a form of underground basketball culture called wow ball. It had grown quite a bit of traction in the past few years. Before I met up with Yin, I actually went ahead a few days earlier to meet with Aaron Maxi. He's a professional basketball player from California, and he is one of my on-the-ground connection to Wildball. Now, as someone who grew up playing and watching basketball, I was really excited to meet him and try to understand just what kind of life was like for a Wildballer. Playing, you know, halfway across the world from his home, with a different environment, culture, and sets of rules. Well, um, yeah, I'm Aaron. I'm a month and a week away from my 39th birthday. You know, I played. Uh, You know, basically 15 years. You know, as a pro, uh, played around the world. Played you know high-level Division One ball at, at Providence College. Came out in 2001. Um, you know, played in the D League when it you know was first rolling. Played in the 30 of the D League. You know, played down in you know South America. Played in Europe. You know, Asia. You know, Australia, New Zealand area. So I've been you know around the world as far as uh, you know basically following the dollar. And the opportunities, and uh, you know, got to a point where you know age discrimination starts to come into play. Now, if you type in "wild ball" on the internet, there's a chance you won't come up with very much. You know, I found you know there's only one trailer for a documentary that I don't think it ever got aired, and some random small blog posts here and there. So I hopped on a plane early Saturday morning and spent the next day traveling into China. Going from cities to towns to little villages, the whole journey took me about you know a whole day. If you're interested in hearing the whole journey, how me and Yin got to this little town called Junsheng, and there's an archive story already out on Macon. Feel free to search it up. I think it's. Actually, called Wild Ball and translates to Wild Ball.、Um, as far as with the, the tournaments, just from what I've been able to see, it's been anything from being in big cities to being out in you know small little farm communities, and you know you play, you play well, get your money, you know keep moving.、Um, you know it's it's a job, so I mean you have your base pay, you may have bonus money, you may not. But you know it is a job. Whoever hires you wants to win for bragging rights in that little town. And basically, kind of play for that period of time, and then on to the next you know, tournament. I actually found out later that a wild baller's job wasn't really just playing official tournaments. It could be an exhibition game, purely just for shows. Turns out, the weekend that I was there, the reason why all these basketball players were in this little town is because they were playing a festival. So I was actually curious. How a professional basketball player from the states would wind up basically middle of nowhere in China just to play basketball. 
you know, knowing that, you know, in my heart, my skill, my ability is not done. Uh, and, uh, you know, basically about a year ago, went ahead and found out about the tournaments in China. Started doing, you know, some research. A close friend of mine, he had played in it. He had played you know, in the NBA for a little bit, bounced around as well, played CBA here in China. That friend actually turned out to be the former Los Angeles Clippers, Keith Kloss. And as Aaron explained, he played in the Chinese Basketball Association or the CBA after his NBA career. So, um, you know, at the end of October, started doing some research and uh, Keith gave me a couple contacts. A few of those people, you know, kept kind of getting back, back and forth with me. And uh, a friend of mine who's playing in the uh, ABL, he was playing in Hong Kong, saw him pop up and he got me in touch with um, you know, with Lucas, who runs basically kind of everything, like Song Dynasty and whatnot, has contacts. He's played in, in the Wild Ball stuff. So, um, you know, started talking a little bit. Again, he wanted to know what my resume was. Didn't know if, you know, it's just some slouch looking to come over. Before talking about Lucas and the Song Dynasty, uh, it's actually worth mentioning that this whole Wild Ball thing, it has a little bit of mystery to it and a little bit of notoriety. Because uh, before making this trip, right, I was under the impression that this whole wild ball thing is, is kind of a, you know, as, as the name suggests, you know, wild ball where, you know, no boundary, no rules, you know, that kind of version of basketball where, you know, they play in the backwoods of China with all kinds of shady characters, you know, gambling, corruptions and, you know, fights in every game. Plus, it didn't really help when we first saw the trailer of Wild Ball on the internet that, you know, kind of reinforced our perception. It's like the Wild Wild West. A lot of guys don't even know who they're playing with. They just come in and team up with guys. It's a Wild War. And obviously there's more to it than what I saw in the trailer and what I learned about Wild Ball on the internet. So I follow Aaron along with his few games over the weekend. This means hours and hours of car rides into Chinese countrysides, going to different villages for different games. Do they have like longer three-point lines? No, it's FIBA, so it's, it's about nine inches shorter than uh, NBA. But playing in this, you never know. It could be like old school, you know, high school, top of the key type deal. So, I mean, you never know what type of court you're going to play on, what surface, where you're going to be. I mean, literally, you don't know until you show up. So I was chatting to Aaron a little bit more about Wild Ball during the first car ride into his first game. Usually it's about like two hours into this little village. And I found out, you know, there's a little bit of truth to this reputation of being wild. You know, basketball is a really popular sport in China. It's kind of transformed into this very lucrative business with all kinds of people looking to profit from it, right? So both from the players, and also the agency side. 
with some of the agents who kind of do the deals for the tours and stuff like that, it is selling a, a, a dream, mm. saying that, yeah, you're gonna play CBA and you're gonna be playing in front of these, you know, teams and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of guys don't realize it. It is a business to get into CBA. You know, you gotta have a resume, which CBA for the most part, I'd say probably 88% they're all ex-NBA players for the most part. So unless you've been in the league for a few seasons, you're not gonna get a gig you know, to go ahead and play. I mean, there's ways to get in, but for the most part, that's primarily what they're looking for because that sells tickets. So I'm sure that there's a handful of guys that they're looking at it from that standpoint. Others, because a lot of guys who play, they lie about what kind of money they make. So they might you know, tell somebody, hey, you know, I'm making X amount of money per month, I'm doing this, and not, when it's not true, but guys who, like I said, they don't have a resume, they've never played anywhere, they might not have even played any college ball in the States or anything like that. They just hop on the plane and, you know, come on over. You know, they get here. And then it's a matter of just trying to figure, you know, something out. So, I mean, if you do have some height, you can play a little bit, then, you know, they'll go ahead and, you know, put you out there. Yeah. Just like any other lucrative industry, there's always going to be the dark side, but there's the legitimate side too. So in Aaron's case, he's playing for this organization called the Song Dynasty, which focuses on managing foreign players only. So as far as with like our place, so like the, the, the premise behind Song is to have um, basically kind of a professional team, professional club type setting that um, wants to be like the uh, kind of the best wild ball team. At the same time, there's only a handful of tournaments where you can have, you know, basically unlimited Americans being allowed to play. So that does make it, uh, you know, a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Is it mostly American? Uh, yeah, as far as with, with our situation, it's um, all American. Um, for, for, the mo or for the most part, I mean, before we had uh, a Jamaican, but, you know, he grew up in the States. Basically like four American. Yeah. So that's uh, you know our situation. You know, although the league has a very large pool of talented players from South America, Europe, Africa, Japan, and the Philippines, part of what makes wild ball such like a dynamic sport is you know these rules in each games vary a lot between tournaments. And some of these special rules or house rules, as they say, can really favor the local players. Um, it's just rules for the different tournaments. Not everything is the same. So depending on where you're playing at, it can be, um, you know, for example, two foreign players on, on a team, but they can only play a total of three quarters between the two of them doesn't matter how you decide to play, it's only three quarters. So you have things like that. Um, you, know, you have tournaments where you, know, you may have to have you know, one local player, and the local player means somebody who's from that town who has to be on the court at all times. Um, yeah, so I mean, every you know, kind of tournament place you play at, there can, can be different rules. You know, and that's where um, you know, whoever kind of your liaison is, you know. In this case, you know, it's Sarah, you know, being able to provide the rules, you know, this is what we're playing with, this is what we're able to do. Yeah. 
with all these different rules and regulations and different games and different countrysides, and especially being in a country where you don't speak the language, you would think that this would be very discouraging, even for the pros. But then for Aaron, this is the industry that he was bred for. I mean, it's, it's again, it's a business and, you know, where you fit in and, you know, does, does it work? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just, it's honestly, I mean, hoops is like any other job. You know, it always comes down to it's not necessarily performance. You know, it's a business, so it can be nothing more than just a favor for a favor, you know, based off of who you know. Right. You know, or you go ahead and you ruffle, you know, the wrong feathers, you know, that'll cost you your job. So, and he is right. It is a very competitive industry and not just from the athletic side. As far as being a, a professional, you always want to put your best foot forward because it's basically open auditions, you know, every time you play. So the better you play, the more people want you, the more money you can make. At this point, I was very curious, how do they stay on top of their game if every single game is with different teammates, different environment, and playing with different stakes? I mean, I've, I've never really had any type of ego clashing or anything like that. Um, I think I've been pretty fortunate with um, you know who I've been able to play with. At the same time, you know, you figure out who's about their money. So I don't, I don't think that the ego in the sense is about who's scoring more or anything like that. I think the ego is more about you need to get your act together because now you're messing with my money. You know, your antics are messing with what, you know, I'm looking to make. As we're driving through the countryside, sometimes I look out the window and, you know, seeing past these small farming houses, and some of these still run on coal. I was very interested in the idea, how, how do these players stay motivated? You know, leaving their home far, far behind. Some of them come from America, all around the world. And some of these games, when you win, most of the money go to the, the owner, the tournament owner. So I asked Aaron, what are the motivations for players usually? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, you want to win a championship, but at the same time, you want to pad your pockets. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to be in a big league, you know, playing for free. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's always, you know, motivation. But I mean, if, if the money's good and stuff like that, it's no longer about the money. It's about, you know, winning you know, the championship, you know, winning those, you know, bragging rights, you know, for the year. The more I talk to Aaron, the more I found out he has a very strong work ethics. In his late 30s, he's still hustling in the CBA. During off seasons, he would play in the wild ball tournaments. Back in a hotel, we got to a point where he revealed his personal health conditions that require a lot of self-discipline and maintenance that made him who he is today. Four years ago, you know, I got struck with, uh, 
you know, Crohn's disease, had, you know, a couple of massive surgeries. You know, it took me a year and a half to figure out, you know, what was going on, medication, go through all the different testing. So, you know, as much as I wanted to play, because I was still working out and doing things, I just couldn't leave because I had to figure out what was going on. You know, you got to have your health in order to, to work. So, um, you know, through that, spent a lot of money, you know, hit rock bottom in terms of you know, having a job. You know, relationships had crashed and burned just through that whole, you know, situation. So for me, it's, you know, during that time, it's been just, you know, not having, you know, anything positive go on. So it had just been starting from scratch and just having to work, you know, the way back up. You know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, eating at, at Deco's, I know that it's rice, grilled chicken, vegetables. And one of the things that I've realized as getting older, and you know, just always being you know involved with fitness. It's not about how things taste. It's about you know, am I getting what I need to be able to do my job and to get through the day? Of course, we like things that taste taste good, but if it's something that's basic, and you can go ahead and, and get it, and it's going to keep you fueled and energized, then that's what it is. So I I can when they, people ask you the question, what can you eat for five days straight? You know, three times a day. I do that a lot here in China. Eat the same meal over and over and over. Yeah, you get tired of it with certain things, but you know what, at the end of the day, I'm looking at, I can do my job. Aaron took a very strong stance for himself, that he needs to get back on his feet with strong beliefs and self-discipline. Seeing him on court, far, far away from his home, seeing how he interact with the locals, where, you know, everyone's curious about him, but at the same time, in a very genuine and lovable way. Here's some of the snippets of first few moments when we got to the court for the very first time. Get the pregame. It was a very eye-opening experience for me too, seeing how the Chinese locals interact with you know, a black basketball player, fascinated by their outlook. You know, all they do is want to take photos, touch their hair. It's a pretty interesting timing for myself as well, because I was in Chengdu two months ago before I went to Yunnan to do this basketball story. I got to talk to my, another producer friend who's named by Harry Kiri, who is also black and living in China, doing hip hop music. And we got to talk a little bit about cultural appropriation and, you know, it's just interesting to see how the the race issue in China is, they don't have prejudice. They're just genuinely being very curious. So I asked Aaron a little bit more how he felt about Chinese people perceiving black people in China. I was like uh, talking to my friend Chengdu, like they said, 
you know, these Chinese people would just like go up to him and like feel his hair. Yeah. And would say like, hey, it feels like cotton. Honestly, like you wouldn't get away if you're in the States, you know, if a white right. person. Right, right, you, you exactly. Know, very different context. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. you know, people are going off of textures and feelings of, of what they know. So, you know, other people might say, oh, you know, your hair is, you know, kind of coarse, almost like a, a, a Brillo pad in, in, a, in a sense. But it's never looked at as far as with any type of, you know, racism or anything like that. Like, I've, I've never encountered that as long as I've played. And then at the same time, you know, it, it's great with sports, too, because guys can go ahead and chop it up like we're doing right now. And we can go ahead and laugh and joke about the different stereotypes or it might be, yo, I was out, you know, in this situation right here and this guy went ahead and called me this, this and this. I'm looking at him and, you know, he said it straight face because that's what he heard and that's what he thinks is acceptable to say. And it's just like, wow, he went ahead and said that. And then all of a sudden you see that he's been educated and then he's like, ooh, you know, I've said something wrong. And the next thing you know, they're apologizing. So it's it's things where sports can you know bring people together. Mm-hmm. During that week of following Aaron around, me and Yin got to see how he interact and worked with the international players and local players from the team. Really, really show his dedication and passion for basketball. He's living the dream and really worked hard for it. That reminded me when I was a little kid, fell in love with basketball and the only thing in my mind were just practicing shooting and trying to dunk. But anyway, I was very motivated and inspired by him after the conversation. And so I asked him if he had any final words for the people that want to work their dreams and passion into the career. Like with anything, you just gotta commit. Yeah. Like you gotta commit 100%. I mean, you know, I, I, like I remember the eighth grade, I was like 13 years old, and uh, my parents were driving basically about 400-ish miles. It was about 300, 400 miles between two tournaments out in the middle of nowhere from Palm Springs, out in the middle of the desert in the Mojave. And then I had another tournament going on out at the beach out in uh, Fullerton. So my parents were driving me back and forth. It wasn't an issue. You know, they slept in the back of uh, our pickup truck, had a little camper shell on it. You know, so they slept in the back of that. You know, I sleep on the floors, you know, in gyms, you know, playing. You know, and, and my old man, and I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, he said, you know, your mom and I, we have no problem driving you all over the place. Just don't bullshit us. Mm. You know, even if you have an off game, you know, you play hard, but don't bullshit us. And that's stuck with me ever since. Like I said, you know, from 13, 14 years old, that's always been, you know, my motto. So whatever it is that I get myself into, that's the voice that I always hear. Yeah. You know, don't bullshit me. Got the rainy day game going on. Wet court. That's what it's about. Trying to get this money. Danger 
experience today. I expect nothing less. This is what it is. Got my man Elf. He's doing some filming. We got some things coming soon. But yes, this is Wild Ball at the wildest and craziest.